Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Getting it to you a little later on Tuesday because we waited until after we watched a little tiny snapshot of practice on Tuesday morning. And then we did talk with Brian Hartline and Jim Knowles. So we're going to discuss that. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. Let's start with Jim Knowles. And things clarify for me, as people have learned over the course of the pod. I've done it for almost two decades, and there are still moments where I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's how stuff works. And I know, Nathan, you know, we're splitting up. We're in different places. Jim Knowles started talking, and then Brian Hartline came in a little later, so we had to split up. But Jim Knowles, I asked Jim Knowles one of the things that we talk about here a lot, which is like young guys on the rise and veterans who know what they're doing at a position. And I just asked Jim Knowles, like, how do you handle that? How do you try to figure out the balance of who should play and what you're looking for. And the thing that he said is when you're a young guy like that, the first thing you have to do is dominate the twos. Kick butt with the twos. And once you do that, then we can have a discussion. And that was clarifying for me, Nathan, especially in a world where when we are out there and we look at the twos, we are seeing Sonny Styles with the twos. We are seeing CJ Hicks with the twos. We are seeing Kai Stokes with the twos. We are seeing Jair Brown with the twos. And it was a bit of an aha moment for me. And as always, this is really, this podcast is about me and us. It's not about Ohio State. And I mean, was it, should I have known that? Nathan, or was that clarifying? Like, I feel better. We were on here the other day, and I was like, man, you watch the sec the second team safeties. And it's like, man, the second team safeties could be the starting safeties. And Jim Knowles is like, yeah, maybe, but do this first, and then maybe we'll have that next discussion. It helped me, Nathan. Should it help our listeners? I think it should, because here's why I think it's important. that It's not like they don't look at, I'll even name some guys you didn't mention, Gabe Powers or... Um, you know, Mike Hall's with the twos. It's different a little bit on the defensive line right now. But, like, it's not like they don't look at those guys and see the ceiling. They saw it when they recruited those guys. That's why they recruited those guys. Not so much Jim Knowles with the linebackers. He wasn't here yet. But you know what I'm saying. As a staff, they did. And anybody can see the potential of those guys. But I think it clarifies something goes back to something you were talking about the last time we had this discussion, which is sometimes you have to just believe in the talent and that putting it on the field kind of allows it to um, mature kind of in real time a little bit, right? That sometimes putting the, – the, sometimes the, 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 the pure talent that you put on the field can surpass the certainty of a guy who has um, – is more experienced, more fundamentally 
repped, all those sorts of things. I just think it clarifies a little bit the process by which that happens. That that why they don't necessarily just make that sort of a jump. Because if if a guy has if a guy if that is true, if a guy has that instinctive talent, I think that probably means he would be dominate if if it's if that alone is enough for him to play the ones, then he could dominate the twos with it, right? Like if you're not dominating at the two level yet, then you probably can't overtake the guy who's at the ones who presumably has already done the same thing as you and dominated the twos at some point in his career. I think I like the idea, Stephen, of, and again, the reason it matters is because are trying to apply it to specific guys in specific situations. But if we think, and I think on this podcast we do, I think on the beat, people think it. I think Jim Knowles thinks it, that Sonny Styles is going to start this year. And then it's like, why isn't Sonny Styles with the ones? And Jim Knowles was like, because you have to dominate the twos first. We have time. But that if that is what this spring is, that is a good, worthwhile spring. It's like, and I'm like, well, I want to see Sonny Styles with the what? Dominate the twos. That's that's what that's what this spring is. Defensively, that's what this spring. That's Sonny Styles' mission. Because I said to Jim Knowles, like, do you tell them that? Do you say it that way? He said, well, certain guys. Right, you lay it out in the individual meetings, and I would imagine Sonny Styles, Stephen, is one of the guys they said that to. So I now I want T-shirts. Dominate the twos. I would wear one that says like "Dominate the fives. That's what I was when I was playing like middle school basketball. I was like if I dominate the fifth string, then maybe someday I can be fourth string. Dominate the twos, Stephen. I feel better about everything. I'm no longer I'm no longer worried about any of the young guy stuff that I've been a little bit angsty about this spring. And when you hear him say that, it seems like a very obvious statement. You know, you dominate at this level, then maybe you can move on to the next level and see if you can do it up there as well. Uh, we probably could have said that ourselves. But there is something to that because we've seen in the past, guys, where we, where we wonder about young, talented, top 100 guys who are behind other people, and you go, why are these guys not playing? And it's, it's been said in all these different ways, but it's simple. They're not dominating at the level they're supposed to be dominating at, so why would I move them up? We saw that with the linebackers for years here. And then when the linebackers finally got their chance, it was like, oh, okay, that's why they weren't playing. They really weren't dominating the twos. And so I, I, I agree with you. I'm not worried about Sonny Styles unless we get to fall camp and he's still with the twos because he never fi- figured out the way to dominate the twos because his situation of dominate the twos and you'll move up is a lot different than what we're talking about with CJ Hicks and dominate the twos and move up because with CJ, it's like dominate the twos, but also make sure the dude who's the one in front of you isn't already dominating the ones. Cause it doesn't matter for dominating the twos then. But I do think like almost as a process, I love process. And I like that Jim Knowles spelled out the process so specifically. Because if we had come out in the spring and Sonny Styles was running with the ones, I don't think we would have been shocked. We're, mm-hmm. Are we not almost a little bit surprised that Josh Proctor is with the ones all the time? And it doesn't mean that Josh Proctor won't be there in the fall. But Jim Knowles' process in this is, young guys, I'm not going to put you with the ones while you are still trying to prove it. We see it. We see the talent. We're not blind to it, but there's a process to this. And so this spring is a dominate the twos kind of spring for all these young guys that we talked about. And then, as you said, Stephen, and as, as, as listeners know, well, it depends who's ahead of you. It depends who your one is. But this is not a world where, listen, Tommy Eikenberg's not out there. 
when we watch them, it's Cody Simon and Steel Chambers at linebacker with the ones basically all the time. This has not been a, hey, let's work in CJ, let's work in Gabe Powers kind of situation with the ones because it's dominate the twos time. This has not, it's, it's been pretty specific. I, I left then, Nathan. I went to Brian Hartline. I know you stayed at Nold, I think, for basically the yeah. whole time or most of the time. One, one of the things I was curious about as we talk about the balance of these kind of things, because they do have multiple positions where they have some established, reliable older guys and they have some young talent on the rise, which again, that's what good teams have. Did Jim Knowles get asked, did he open himself up anymore at all to, yeah, they can all play. Because again, as, as we know what he said last year, it's on the back seven, he has said he prefer, he prefers to have a dude there. Did that get broached at all, where in the balance of trying to figure this out, the answer might be all and everybody? So it didn't quite get to that stage. I mean, he's obviously, he's already on the record saying he wants Cody Simon to keep having, he's, and he brought up again today that he thinks he's having a really good spring. And he thinks Cody Simon is going to be their third linebacker this fall and is going to have a role. Like he's going to be in there a lot as he was at times last year. It eventually kind of more centralized around Eichenberg and Chambers. But at other places, it, he did kind of sprinkle some things in there. And I, one interesting thing he said was uh, somebody asked, I think it might've been, might've been Tony Gerdeman. You asked a lot of good questions. Asked a question like, is, is this spring enough time for you to figure out what you're going to do with Sonny Styles?" And he said, no, that that's going to, continue all the way through the fall and they're going to get keep that evaluation going all the way through the fall and then decide I'm trying to remember the exact way he phrased it but then then you kind of build then sometimes you can build the position or build build the the scheme or, or, or design the position that they will fit at best so like he's definitely I think open to guys who have niches I don't know how much he is open to a full like 12 man scramble in the back of this thing though. Like I don't see that. And there are definitely some guys like, listen, like this conversation that we're having between how a guy earns his way onto the field, I think really applies to Sonny styles in an interesting way or Kai Stokes. I don't really know how much it applies to CJ Hicks and Gabe powers in a lot of ways though, because like, Tommy, Tommy, no thumbs ain't coming off the field. Like he's playing every snap the, that, that they'll let him this fall. And steel chambers was really good at the scrimmage. I mean, his, you heard his name a lot. He mm-hmm. was really active. Um, so like, I, I don't know if those linebackers are kind of, it, it wouldn't be a situation there where you feel like they're getting blocked in a weird way. It's safety where I think there is more opening for someone to step up and, and, and prove but- themselves and take a spot. But I will say, I do think dominate the twos does stand on its own to some degree. Now, how black, how blocked you are yep. matters, right? Of course. But the level of dominance that you show with the twos also stands on its own. It's the next thing that gets more complicated. So right. I like the idea. I am not shutting the door on somebody like somebody who is blocked dominating the twos in a way that unblocks things. I, I, and I, think... I do, this is not against Tommy Eichenberg or Steel Chambers. I think you would have to be open to somebody dominating the twos to such a degree that you've got to play them somehow. Although what you're saying is Jim Knowles is saying like, yeah, we might have that. That's Cody Simon. He's the third linebacker. Well, That's We're not talking about CJ Hicks or Gabe Powers in that way. But I think if you're open to doing that with Cody Simon. I don't know if logically it, it doesn't make sense 
for you to also be open to doing it with another person who steps up and proves themselves at the level of Cody Simon, right? Like if then, then you would maybe be open to, okay, well, we actually have four guys and it's really like a two thirds, one third split. But CJ Hicks is that is the will version of Cody Simon. Cody Simon plays the mic backup snaps, uh, relief snaps, however you want to look at whatever you want to term it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think it's all a matter of like, like you just kind of alluded to get somebody to that stage, get them onto the, the kick-ass spectrum, can we, uh, kick butt spectrum, and then get, get whoever has kicked enough butt with the twos, they've reached a level, and now you figure out where to slot them in. Where And and he that was the way he kind of termed it today too, right? It was like, they proved themselves here, and then now it's on my plate. Now I've got to figure out how to distribute all of this. And I do, we have to keep, it's spring, it's spring, it's spring, it's spring. This is what spring is for. But the, but the but the difference to me, Stephen, is the difference between looking at a young guy with the twos and being like, oh, he's with the twos. Or looking at a young guy who's with the twos and thinking, oh, he's been told to dominate the twos, and then we'll have a discussion. So they've known that all along. It's just, we didn't know it. So like on behalf... <laughs> On behalf of young, talented Ohio State players, I was like, man, I'd like to see those guys get a chance. And they would have been like, oh, no, we do have a chance. We have the chance to dominate the twos. And then Noel said, then we'll talk. So I guess that's just good coaching. And I guess, again, there's, of course, like all the all these all coaches everywhere, all they talk about, Stephen, is, is competition. And competition brings out the best in everybody. And if you force your way on the field, we'll find a way to play you. I just like dominate the twos. And there's just, Stephen, when we look at it, it just feels like there's so many guys that applies. Right now it applies to Jihad Carter, who's not a young guy, but he's a transfer guy, and he's running with the twos the whole time. It's like, man, that guy came from Syracuse. Could you give him a couple one snaps? And if we were like, Jihad, what's up? He'd be like, oh, Noel's told me to dominate the twos, and then we'll have a talk. I'm good with it. Be like, oh, okay. It just, like, sometimes, Stephen, a coach could say dominate the twos, and you'd look at the second team and be like, well, I don't I guess, but actually that kind of looks like 11 backups to me. But as we've talked about, who are their twos? Mike Hall's a two more often than not right now. Kenyatta Jackson, who we've been raving about, is a two. Caden Curry, who everybody thinks is on the rise, is a two. C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers and Kai Stokes and Davis and Igbignosen and Jair Brown and Sonny Styles are – there's like – Eight or nine twos, Stephen, that it feels like you'd be curious about. So it feels like there are so many guys that this would apply to that we'll have a sense by August who did dominate the twos in April because maybe now we'll start to see some things shake loose. And I think the interesting thing is when you say dominate the twos, that's also dominating the twos on the other side of the ball, which given the names that are out this spring for the offense – Everybody not named Marvin Harrison Jr. right now is a two, or at least was a two last year. It's been, it's been, okay, take Marvin Harrison, Donovan Jackson, and Matthew Jones off the table. Everybody else who's getting meaningful snaps this, this spring is a two last year for Ohio State's offense. So there's plenty of opportunity to go around for you to prove that point of you can use the slang dominate the twos a little bit stronger this year because there's going to be plenty of tape that they're going to be able to look back on once the spring is over of, okay, who actually dominated the twos and who didn't? I want to bring up an example that I think maybe helps describe this for, for people's minds. There was a player that last spring we were not yet talking about as like having arrived as being a big deal. 
we were asking him questions about, hey, you got here late in, in 2021. You were not really a part of the defense. You had to redshirt. You had to change your body in some ways. You had to get some things together. And that was really the spring conversation. And at that time, I thought last spring, it was not someone that we were talking about as like, this guy's going to be a force on the defense. By the time we were like a week into preseason camp, the the message on Mike Hall Jr. was like, we we can't block this I knew guy. it was Mike Hall. I knew it was Mike Hall. We can't block this guy. We get it. We get it. <laughs> I'm just trying to build that up like we didn't know who you were talking about. I just, hey, it's storytelling. I'm a storyteller. I tried to like <laughs> coax people in. I'm trying to coax people in and like hit you with the hit you with a hammer. It's like, hey but, guys, but, remember but, when but, I okay, said but, that but was right? Good like, go back and look yes, at our. You are correct. Go back and look at our reporting last spring, and it was still very much like on the horizon. Here's what my call could maybe be someday. And by August, it was like baby Aaron Donald. And 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 it, <laughs> there was a point where it was. I think this is how the process worked. I think there was a time where the second string probably went to <laughs> went to Justin Fry and was like, stop. Like, we can't block this guy. This isn't fair. Stop doing this. And so then they put him on the ones. And then the ones were like, "What? where would this guy come from? Like, that's how you become what my call was. Now, that's not a great example because I know he's technically with the twos still right now. But I think that's something that's in flux, too. It just I think that's something that people should keep in mind, that this can change pretty quickly and i think seeing sunny styles on the field at the early parts of the peach bowl mean more to me than seeing him at second string six practices into the spring i agree with that and part of it to help you with your mic call point here even though you need no help with the mic call point and talking to people he was doing a lot of that during the 21 season dominating the twos in practice every single day. So it wasn't a shock once he got up with the ones that he was doing that. Because even fast forward to that fall camp when Larry Johnson got asked about it, about him being a three, he was like, he ain't no three. Because And it's obviously that's that's it's defensive line, it's defensive tackle. So being a one could be like four people, how they rotate in that position there. But maybe that's a good question of who Sonny Styles or CJ Hicks or uh, uh, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry, who was dominating the twos on a Wednesday night practice in October? Because that probably has started to translate in, in bowl practice when there was more opportunity. Now that there's really opportunity, and then the payoff is this fall camp when you get there. But we had been hearing about Sonny Styles since he walked on campus. And, and who stacks it and who stacks it. I mean, that's a, that's a term that Ryan Day uses a lot um, right now. And he's talking about the offensive line and things, but it's like you had, a, you, you dominated the twos on Tuesday. What'd you do on Thursday? Did you take, yeah. did you take three practices off before you dominated the twos again? I think that's the, there's like stages within even dominating the twos. So un, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, we've got to live our lives. So on Saturday, we are going to, the plan is get to see another practice. They're being very nice to the media. This April, and we are appreciative of it. We're having lots of opportunities to see practice windows in the morning, like we did on Tuesday morning. We see the first four periods of practice. They're like five minutes each. So we get to watch about 20 minutes of stuff that they do. Not hardcore stuff, but we just saw this past Saturday. It's the most recent podcast that you guys have listened to was a two hour practice with a lot of scrimmage time. And we saw that. So I'm going to miss on Saturday, it's student appreciation day, which is like, hey, they let, they let the students in. So they let the media in as well. Because on my wife and I are going to a yurt for her birthday, which was her, her birthday is the week of the Michigan game. So you can't go to a yurt the week of the Michigan game. 
She knows you that. You have a really good wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I told her it's her fault. Because, like, she was a turkey baby before she, we moved here. Like, she's oh, your birthday's around yeah. Thanksgiving. And then once your husband gets this job, it's not that your b- birthday's around Thanksgiving. It's that your birthday's the week of the Ohio State-Michigan game, and your husband can't talk to you the week of your birthday. So she understands that. So we planned this thing, and I didn't know and whatever. And so I'm going to be in a yurt. It's just a – it's a fancy tent. We're going to be in a fancy tent on Saturday, so I'm not going to be there. But – Again, this is just – it would change my lens because we, when we were watching the practices, it's like we're, all, we're writing down who's with the ones, who's with the twos. We're, you know what I want to watch for Saturday, which you guys can watch for? Who's dominating the twos? It completely changes my lens of it's like, oh, it's not like I closed my eyes when the second team was out there this past Saturday. But now I'm almost more excited to see the twos on defense than I am the ones because, Nathan, I want to see now yeah. who's popping because we know it's – they don't say it to us first. They say it to the players first. These are guys who are trying to dominate the twos who looks like they are doing it. There was a real purpose here. And in retrospect, we did see some of that this past Saturday, I thought. There was the the Red Zone series. Gabe Powers had like a couple PBUs in that series, maybe yeah. three, like a handful of them it seemed like. Um, we already talked about Kenyatta Jackson at length on Saturday and him, his ability to get in the backfield. Those are both guys who are repping with the twos, but making it look kind of easy at times, or at least making plays, like noticeable plays, loud plays with the twos. I think so. We already had a flash of it. I think we can watch Saturday now, though, with maybe just a little bit more purpose. I know that in this may actually sound kind of like elementary when you say it out loud. Like, yeah, look at who's like dominating. But I mean, it's I think we have a more specific way to visualize some of these things. I don't think, yeah, I wouldn't say purpose would be the word. Cause I think instead of just watching the, the last week, we watched the ones with that vigor. Cause that's who's going to be playing on Saturday, especially since it's a full practice, it's two hours. You're going to get the ones that you're going to get your depth chart. The first 15 minutes we're in there. Cause we're used to only being in there for 30 minutes. So you got to kind of get it quickly last week. If we were watching the ones with that vigor to see who was dominating the ones this time around, it's just who's dominating the twos. Which could also just mean it's another way for us to say, hey, let's see if Sonny Styles, Kenyatta Jackson, CJ Hicks, Gay Powers, uh, Denzel, not Denzel, but Jair Brown, Davidson Igmanosin, you know, on the offensive end, you know, Carnell Tate, these guys that we think might be a little something. Let's see if they can pop because we're going to be paying a lot more attention to them than we're going to be paying attention to guys like JT, Zach, and Jack, and uh, Denzel Burke because we know what they are. I think I'm just susceptible to slogans. I get hypnotized very easily, and I think I get hypnotized by slogans. I probably – I'm an advertiser's dream. And, like, if my parents would have known that, instead of saying, like, go mow the lawn, if they would have said attack the grass, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get – oh, I didn't even – I never thought – I just thought it was like, oh, you push a thing and the grass gets smaller. I don't know. But attack the grass? Oh, let's get – now I have a purpose for the next two hours. And it's just the same thing. It's just the same thing. But I felt I felt a purpose when Jim Knowles said that. Okay, quick break. When we come back, a little bit more Jim Knowles, and we'll get into Brian Hartline. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan Baird. People want to get like inside information about some stuff. We were texting as things were happening on Tuesday morning. We got to watch 
Then we talked. That's Those are the great days. You watch, you gain more information, you absorb, and then you get to go talk. And then we, we convey both what we saw and what we heard. 614-350-3315 if you want to be a tech subscriber. Spring games, like what it is, was it three weeks away? So like it's a two-week free trial. So if you maybe wait a little bit longer, you could start it Saturday. I would maybe start it Friday to be safe. Send a text to that number, 614-350-3315 on Friday. So you don't forget. You'll get back a link to sign up. You sign up. Then you get the scrimmage on Saturday where I'm not going to be there, but the two of you, once it's over and once Ryan Day talks, you'll be sending a lot of information about what you saw. And then you'll get a little bit of a build up, And then it's to the spring game. Like two weeks later is this is the spring game. So you should be okay. Like you should, I think you'll still get that. And then you can hit stop. Then you type stop and you never get charged until you get it for free. So I think that should work. Now, if you don't do it Friday, you'll figure it out. You get two week free trial or you can pay $3.99 and then you'll get everything you want. And then you can quit after the $3.99. Nathan, you were at Knowles the whole time. What else, what were the big things that popped from our conversation with the defensive coordinator. So I asked at one point, and it was a, something else he'd been uh, talking about too, was just the, the the situation at nickel. And I had asked a question at one point, kind of extending off of, of what we were just talking about, saying, you know, it was a three-linebacker system before you made it a two-linebacker system. Is that creating sort of an awkward overlap, or do you just like the competition it creates? He said, no, no, it's the great competition. That's not an issue. The Where it's been a little weird has been at nickel. Because as he said, when he came into the program, he thinks that cornerbacks could be the fit at that spot, that cornerback like athletes, that they don't need that person to be a really stout run defender. They can get by with a a different kind of body type there. But the cornerback room was so limited last year that then when Cam Martinez was hurt a lot last year, there just wasn't a lot of depth from them to pull from to try different guys at that spot. So this spring, there has been more experimenting. It's been guys like Jaya Brown, Ryan Turner, basically anybody who is outside of that, what we would assume to be the top three at corner right now, Burke, Hancock, Igbenosan, anybody outside of that is probably repping some at nickel because they're trying to build some depth there. Even though they like what they've gotten from Cam Martinez so far, even though uh, Jihad Carter, who he says is playing all over the place, but it's probably maybe leaning more at nickel as like his best spot. I think they like where that foundation is, but they're just trying to build some more depth there. And I think that's a position where we're going to see over the next year or so, maybe a ch- just a change in how it looks a little bit, because it also gave some perspective on why Tanner McAllister fit that so well last year. When you take that and put it together with what we saw him do at pro day, now you're like, oh, okay, well, like someone who's that fast and but then also mixes in kind of the strength that he showed off there. Like you saw that being maybe a a a tougher corner that could fit in a spot like that. So they're going to keep looking for that. But I just thought it was interesting that he admitted that that's like where there is some kind of awkwardness into the transition between the previous defense and the current defense from a personnel standpoint and how that's going to fit together going forward. So, like, for instance, Jair Brown on this past Saturday absolutely was running with the second-team corners at times and then was running as a three with in that safety, that nickel safety spot at times, mm-hmm. Stephen. And so I know you specifically asked about Jair, too. Like, that idea, we are seeing it in action, which, again, like, it, it, guys just say different things 
depending on what the situation is. Sometimes you have core beliefs and sometimes you that's two different positions. So on one hand, it's like, oh, great. Well, we can move guys around. And on the other hand, it's like, well, have we not been down this road before where like you're asking the guy to do two different things and maybe it prevents him from being the best at anything that being an outside corner and being a nickel, whatever are different job descriptions, Stephen. I do. It's Jair Brown seems like a great candidate there, but also you're an alien abduction or two away from needing Jair Brown on the outside. So they've got to build some depth there, but I do, I'm curious about the implementation. Cause Nathan, of course, what Knowles is saying, you're making a very good point. They only had six outside corners last year on the whole roster. So, okay. It's like, well, oh, how are we going to take any, how are we going to take anybody out of that group? And then Cam Brown's dealing with injuries. Denzel Burke's dealing with injuries. Jordan Hancock's basically out the whole year. J.K. Johnson, who you th- who you think is your fourth outside corner, winds up playing a gazillion snaps and is eh, and then leaves. Steven, I think Jair Brown is like a great example of this, but I'm also curious what they do because, again, sometimes the way they talk, they don't want to split a guy's responsibilities. On one hand, it's nice to be versatile. On the other hand, it's nice to be really good at the thing you're focused on. Yeah, I do wonder, because the way he was describing part of the reason why they were thinking about doing this is more about the pass coverage than it was all the other responsibilities that go with playing that nickel safety role where it's third down and you know it's a passing down and there's no run responsibilities there. You're just out there to cover somebody. And, yes, I agree. It's still two different jobs, outside corner versus you're playing slot. It's two-way routes now that you have to deal with instead of having the sideline help you and be a defender for you. But it seems like it'll be more like that. And it it makes me wonder when he said when he said that yes guys some of these second year guys are doing that it made me think Cameron Brown twenty twenty before he got hurt where if you remember he wasn't a starter it was he he was on third down slot corner and that type of decision situation so I wonder if they would do that this year where whether it's Jihad Carter or Cameron Martinez who ends up winning that third safety spot that's the starter. But in third down situations where it is more about coverage, that's when you would go to a guy like Jair Brown or Ryan Turner to be on the field in those situations. So there's still an option to be an outside corner if you need it be, but there's, it's almost like this specialized role for these situate down and distance situations. And also, by the way, you know, we're getting back, let's get back to Sean Wade. So this is the thing. Listen, it's like, oh, the idea that you, to me, if you call the slot guy a corner, you're signaling that coverage is what matters most. That's the first priority from that position. If you call it a safety, a nickel safety, to me, you're signaling that run support, physicality, maybe being able to deal with the tight end at times, but just being able to be down in the, because you're down in the box, you're kind of like, you're not the third linebacker, but you're replacing the third linebacker. You might have to fill, fill some gaps and do some things down there. That's the priority. And so a lot of the time, Nathan, here, it's been more of a slot corner. Sean Wade, Rondale Moore. Okay. And actually, I think that makes sense. Have we watched college football lately? Are we aware of what people do? Slot receivers, kind of a thing. I want a guy who has quickness and speed and coverage ability. I am not as worried about whether he's going to tackle a running back. So it's like now it's, it's part of me is like, what, like what now? Like 
now this is being realized. This is because I, again, I, I think I maybe underestimated Tanner McAllister's physical skills. But it felt like to me, Tanner McAllister, that's not a corner. Like if you would have said, oh, it's Rondale Moore. Who's going to cover Rondale Moore? Or Tanner McAllister is. I would have, I think I would have been like, really? Are we, that's every snap? Is that the, that's the actual plan? Don't you want to put a corner on that? So the idea that like in conclusion, maybe it's actually that guy in the slot. We want more of a corner type skill set. It makes me feel like it's like, well, that's what they did before. Like, yes, of course. That's so I guess because it's just skill set. It's not about the name. The, the name only matters, Nathan, is if, if it designates the type of player that you are putting there. But you can't come in and say you're playing three safeties, you're a safety-driven defense, and then be like, well, you know, we really need corner skills at the slot. It's like, yes, I know. But I thought you were a safety-driven defense. We're going to be back to one safety. Give it like 18 months. We're going to be back to one safety, five corners, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean, Nathan? Like, the, the part of the discussion, like, on Tuesday was like, well, you know, I've discovered. And it's like, what are we doing? This is what it was before. No, like when he came in, though, like I said before, go back to January of last year, and he was talking about that kind of athlete, finding that, you know, trending towards corner probably for the kind of athlete that they wanted at that position. But I think that it is sort of a hybrid, right? That's what he, I think, envisions at that position. It's it's not someone who is a bulky run stopper. It's also not someone who is a a it's probably more than a nickel corner though. Like someone more, you know, it just feels bigger than that. So it's, it's, it's kind of a hybrid kind of athlete that they want there. It's, it's but, but let me like, ask, but, but let me ask if, if, if they were committed to that. So to me, if you're committed to it and it's a corner, then your three best corners are on the field together. Like that's where you start. So if they were all the way down this road right now, then to me, we're in a world where, for instance, when we watch practice, Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock are the outside corners and Davis and Igmanosin is the slot corner mm. because they are the three best cover guys that you have. And Igmanosin, we talked about, he looks the party 6'2". He can handle himself in there. But also, by the way, the number one thing is you got to be able to cover. If you're really committed to that, because that's what they were then. Sean Wade was the slot corner because he was the third best corner. It wasn't... Well, we're going to take the fourth corner and we'll slide him inside sometimes, but sometimes he's outside. You take the three best cover guys you have out of the cornerback room. You decide which one of them really kind of slits, fits in the slot best. And those are your three starters. So if they get there, that's where I think they were closer to at times in the past, Stephen. So, and that makes sense to me. But do you want a bigger corner who's physical and can hold up and can put his shoulder down and tackle somebody in the run game if need be? Yeah. But I don't know. Is that hybrid? Is whatever? Like, what was Cam Brown? Cam Brown, when he was doing that, was the third best cornerback on the team. So if they get there, that's what it is to me. And so I, that makes sense to me. So are they, is that what they're open no. to now or are they only half measures? I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think you're all the way right with it. Fuck I talk. <laughs> well, that was it. We can hang it up right there. We're in the Hall of Fame, baby. Put us in the rafters. I, I think the Sean Wade having the three best corners thing, I think that is oversimplifying why he won that job. Because if I'm not mistaken, in 2018, he was a safety. 
for a lot of that season. And so I do think that in that situation, what was better for that role? The guy who's the third best corner or the second or the guy who's the second best safety, who at that point was probably Josh Proctor, second year Josh Proctor, who we found out had a little boomer bust in him while Sean Wade had had a year of experience under his belt being a redshirt. No, no, wait, 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 wait. 2018, Sean Wade's the slot corner. He's the guy who was on Rondale Moore. That's 2018. Not, right, but was he not in the safety room at one point in his career here? I don't know. That's too long. I, I think, I think, no, I but think he's he a was. corner, but he's a corner. He's a corner. I, know, I, though. I understand that, but I know they moved him in the safety room and that was a conversation with him going into 2019 is, Hey, what room are you in? And then they told us that the safeties and corners were meeting together. So it really didn't matter. So I do think that I'm just, I'm using that as an example because I don't know if it's as simple as just put the three best corners on the field and make one of them a slot corner. I think because Tanner Mark. Okay. So let, let, let me, let me, let me interrupt there a second. But that kind of thing, like Sean Wade is a guy whose skill set, we saw him cover the slot receiver. And then yeah. he moved to outside corner. Tanner McAllister was never going to move to outside yeah. corner, right? So are you putting a guy in there who could move to outside corner? Because they wouldn't move Josh Proctor to outside corner. They wouldn't move Sonny Styles to outside corner. They wouldn't move Lathan Ransom to outside corner. They wouldn't move Jihad Carter to outside corner. Right, Nathan? Well, but here I, we're overlooking one thing here, which is why Cam Martinez might be the guy that fits what Jim Knowles is looking for right now. In some ways, he's talking about depth when he's talking about the guys that they're playing there right now. If you're like a second or third string corner, I don't know that he's thinking about bringing those guys over to be a starter by this fall at, at that nickel spot. But Cam Martinez is a guy who we have seen work in the cornerback room before. He has had a more versatile athletic foundation uh, here. And at times we've almost wondered if that was holding him back because they bounced him around uh, as much as they did. But he has some of those underlying skills. Jim Knowles today was talking about how much he, and he's mentioned it before, how much he loves his feet. Like his his the way he can move out uh, in, in the in that spot that he's someone who just needs to gain some more confidence I think to maybe bring out everything that he can do a guy who was banged up a lot last year and is probably just you know having that maybe in the back of his mind that he needs to be flushed out a little bit but he has some of that hybridness in him at least a little bit that I was alluding to and that's me putting words in Jim Knowles' mouth a little bit but he has some of those that cornerback foundation i think he even did some as soon as he got here too like spent some time in the cornerback room pretty quickly after he got here as a true freshman so i think that's also a a sign as to why maybe cam martinez is with the ones right now and jihad carter is with the twos not just because one got here later but because martinez might be the the better athletic fit for what they want at that position he is more cornery. I also just reminded, I was just watching the highlight of Cornelius Johnson running at him and Cam Martinez getting spun <laughs> yeah. into the ground like yeah. uh, the Tasmanian sure. devil as Cornelius Johnson got open for a 75-yard touchdown. So I, I think, Stephen, people know what we're talking about. You know what's a guy that's a little more cornery and what's a guy that's a little more safety-ish. And sometimes yeah. you get a guy who's right down the middle. And you know what? Damon Webb came here as a corner and left here mm -hmm. as a safety, right? So sometimes there is crossover. But other times, there's a difference. Denzel Ward was not a safety. But they could have played him. And I think they did play him at times as a slot corner. 
coverage responsibility. So that's so I, it's but yeah, it's I, a defensive core. It's a coordinator choice here, Stephen. Right? Which way you lean with it? Yeah, I, and I do. I think that's the part of it. I think I agree with most with you. Where I think you're most right is you want the guy who's the best of both worlds. But what world is he more likely to come from might depend on the down and the distance. If it's first and second down, you might be more likely to go get the guy who's the best of both worlds, but he comes from the safety world because you do have to worry about run fits and stuff like that. But if it's third and eight and you need to get off the field, you might go get the guy who's the best of both worlds, but he comes from the cornerback room because now you are valuing the coverage over, you know, them maybe running a running back jar or whatever. So it might vary this year. You might have more options in how you want to approach that this year. So you might see multiple guys play that role. Then also there might just be years where, like whether it was Sean Wade in 2019 or Tanner McAllister this past season, where one guy shows you he can do enough to be both. And you're just like, cool, that's the guy who's going to play the role regardless of what the doubt is. But again, even beyond down, I mean, there are teams that you play. There's enough teams that you play. I mean, Rondale Moore didn't kill Ohio State only on third downs, right? That's a thing. Yeah. Depend if you got a slot receiver that's going to smoke you, um, and then you play Wisconsin and Iowa, and it's different. All right, Nathan. Anything else with Jim Knowles that we need to cover? He was asked about the Jack, and again reiterated that he thinks that that is probably a. It's not going to really be a thing to the fall. He's like, I'm targeting Mitchell Melton for that. So it's like you're setting the jack aside and waiting for Mitchell Melton to be able to come back and play it, and then you're going to get back into the jack again. He did mention C.J. Hicks's name, this time unprompted in that conversation with the jack as a way to use him if he is going to be stuck back there, I suppose. And although, again, that brings up the conversation like, well, didn't you just say you kind of jammed up Jack Sawyer last year with the, the jack? Like, why? when do you want to do that experiment? When do you not? But I don't think – Mitchell Melton is the guy he wants to play that position. So with, with Hicks, it may just be more of a, a side job, a side gig, as they say, as the kids say these days. Uh, but uh, Bill Landis asked then a question, um, friend of the pod. About punters? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> but just asked him, like, so how married are you to the Jack in general? Like, do you have – does the Jack have to be a part of this scheme? Does it have to be a part of this defense? And he said – no, that you're, uh, there's no such thing. Nothing is non-negotiable that if they just decide that from a personnel standpoint, they can actually have a better defense without bringing that into it. Then that's what they'll, they'll go forward with. Now, as much as he said, as much as he said, nothing we're is just, non-negotiable. We're just, it's, the bullet. it's just, they brought it's in the a $2 million guy and they're just going to wind up in a four man front playing press man coverage and three quarters. Like so it's, two, it's 2015 all over again. This, this uh, track is very slowly uh, turning into the bullet, even down to the guy who we think is the most ideal guy is a guy who was ranked in the mid two hundreds in his recruiting <laughs> class, who has been adopted by aliens year after year after year. It's literally the bullet all over again. We are living in, the matrix but scheme is dead scheme is dead just was, get five stars and let them rip here's why i thought it was that part of the conversation was only interesting to me relative to this other part of the conversation which was then bill's follow-up was well could you see a point where you go to uh something other than a four down front like you could start recruiting towards having a, a an unconventional front and jim Knowles was like no not as long as so that is non-negotiable right now as long as larry johnson is in place this is a four down front and maybe beyond that too maybe they would bring in someone be after that who had other ideas i guess but as long as larry johnson is here they are committed to the four-man front 
the moment Larry Johnson retires, that's going to be the number one question is, hey, Ryan, hey, Jim, are you now going to run a 3-4 like the rest of the SEC but, basically does? But Day has talked before, like, he's a four-man front guy too. But maybe he was only deferring to Larry Johnson when he said that. But when he's talked about back 2019, like, yeah. what kind of defense do you want? I, I want a four-man front. I want a single high safety. So those two things were staples of what Day wanted on the field too. And one's gone. Yes. Within One staple is, is dead. So, yeah, I'm a four-man front guy, too. So, like, I, I like that. I think I, I – I don't know why, but I do think it makes the most sense, especially when you can recruit defensive ends like that. But, I mean, th- there's a world – there's so many teams that run a 3-3-5 now, right, mm-hmm. that that's – your base is a 3-3-5, and then – then it makes sense that like, well, one of your second three is a Jack and like, that's, it's like a half outside linebacker, half defensive end floater, whatever. So if you told me that you're running a three, three, five and CJ Hicks is the Jack, but the Jack's on the field every snap and you're playing steel chambers, Tommy Eichenberg and CJ Hicks is the Jack. And then you're playing JT Tuimolo out Jack Sawyer, and Mike Hall, and that's your three-man front. Let's roll. That then, then like if we're trying to fit personnel and getting the right guys on the field and allowing them to maximize their strengths, okay. But like what it is here with the wrinkle that the Jack is or isn't that again. And now we've already had this conversation, Stephen. But that's where the I that's where I get nervous about CJ Hicks as a Jack because it feels like a wrinkle, not a staple. If this were. Five years like if CJ Hicks shows showed up the year after Larry Johnson retired, and this was four or five years into the Jim Knowles experience, then I think I would be all types of excited about CJ explaining the Jack because I think that's where Oklahoma State was by the time Jim Knowles got out of there. It was more like a three three five where one of those threes on the back were just a Jack, so it was kind of like a four two five, but a standing rusher in that position who could just pick all his angles. If that's the type of Jack that CJ Hicks is playing. I'm all for that. I don't think Jack Sawyer was ever that just because, you know, what his skill set is and what he was comfortable with. But that's something where you can recruit Will linebackers who were probably a standing rusher in three, four schemes. That's where you can get those guys to be more, you know, open to coming here instead of wanting to go to the SEC because, you know, here they recruit the Chase Young, uh, JT Tuimaloa, Zach Harrison type of defensive end because that's what four down front defensive ends look like. If you could open the world up to like the Micah Parsons type of edge rusher, I mean, with a three three five you could do that, but that's so far down the line, and that's not really where this defense is ever going to be as long as CJ Hicks is here, unless he somehow ends up being like a six year guy here. That would be a problem. Okay, so one little tidbit in the continuing effort of watching Ryan day and figuring out where he is and where he's not, he was over, they were running a ball security drill where they're having the running backs, but then also the quarterbacks and the tight ends and the receivers they run through and everybody tries to knock the ball out of their hands. Ryan day was in there trying to knock the ball out of guys hands in the middle of the block. O, hanging in the middle of the field lot. And then Steven, you and I were both noting, I know Nathan, I'm sure you saw it too. Like at the end of practice, Ryan day, had a big group of dudes around him. And they were all the dudes. It was Marvin Harrison Jr. It was Tommy Eichenberg. It's Donovan Jackson. It's Kyle McCord. It's Mayan Williams. It's, I wrote I down some list. other names. Steve, yeah, you have the whole list? list? Yeah. Kyle McCord, 
Marvin Harrison Jr., JT Tui Malowal, Julian Fleming, Tommy Eichenberg, Donovan Jackson, Ty Hamilton, Travion Henderson, Court Williams, long live the bullet, Mayan Williams, Steel Chambers, Lathan Ransom, Matthew Jones, Xavier Johnson, Denzel Burke, Cade Stover, and Jack Sawyer. And I, I think I mentioned this to you and to Nathan. I would assume that those are probably your squad leaders this offseason. And from that mix, yeah. you'll probably get the captains when you get to August. So that's a big group of guys, but that those are your dudes. And the head coach post-practice for, I don't know, eight minutes yeah. was talking to his dudes. And Nathan, we don't, we're going to get to Brian Hartline in a second. And what we're making too big of a deal of and not big enough of a deal of. Mostly too big of a deal. I don't know if you saw that as much before. And in the service of all these other things, like that's a little bit, that's the kind of thing. And it's not like Ryan Day didn't talk to his team leaders before. But I think it was worth noting, Nathan. We all noted it. I thought it was worth noting. And it was like a real thing. It's the head coach and the leaders of the team, and they're having a meeting. No, I think it, it, it's just one more. Every practice, I feel like there's some little new morsel from Ryan Day that we hadn't seen before, whether that was on Saturday, not wearing the headset, just being uh, involved in a different way. Certainly much more much more interaction with the defense this spring than we ever saw him have before, I think, that I've noticed. And it's – of all the things that we say in the spring that, like – what, what's important, what's not. I think this is instructive. I think this is telling you about how a mindset is changing in the program a little bit, that you've delegated some of this stuff to somebody else that's not your purview anymore, and now you have um, a different oversight that you get to take. Or it's one you maybe should have been taking all along, we're trying to take all along, but now you've just freed yourself up to do that a little bit more. And and that's why it's, it's important to... Even if he ends up calling plays this fall, I think it's important to give someone else the title of offensive coordinator to make sure it was going to Heartline. I know somebody else had it before too, but like you've got to do some of those things to 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 maybe set up boundaries for yourself to make sure that you're you're following through on what this is what you want this to be. So Jim Knowles is the head coach of the defense. Mick Marotti is the head coach of strength and conditioning. Mark Bantoni is the head coach of recruiting. Brian Hartline is apparently about to be the new head coach of the offense, which means Ryan Day is, as head coach, you're in charge of culture, so you can put more emphasis onto that type of stuff and having a meeting with basically your team leaders, and it doesn't really matter what side of the ball we're talking about there. That's a head coach of culture duty. The day that Ryan Day allows someone else to be called the head coach of the offense, you can just carve his still beating heart right out of his chest and place it on the podium in front of the team room, and that's it. He'll give up play calling. You can call Brian Hartline the offensive coordinator. You can call Brian Hartline the play caller. I know what you're saying, Stephen. Over Ryan Day's cold, dead body, will you call somebody else the head coach of the offense? It's just that he thinks he can, he's head coach of the team, yeah. And then also head coach of the offense. So just, but it's just, so, but yes. And I think we just, we are observing that and we do think that it matters. What does Brian Hartline think about what matters in this transition? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. So Hartline's just one of these guys, right? The NFL guys are like this a little bit. Cause, cause if you've only done it in college, 
you've really you've only done this as a kid. And by do this, it's like meet with the media, talk about the game, like with people, right? But when you've done it in the NFL, like you've done that as a millionaire. And so when you're 20 and you talk about it, and then when you're a millionaire and you talk about it, like when you're 20, it's like, yes, Mr. Reporter. And when you're a millionaire, you're like, what do you want? <laughs> it's like, why are you at my locker? And so sometimes the guys who have been through the NFL just to have a little bit of more of a, what do you want kind of thing, but not in a bad way. And so Brian Hartline just has a little bit more of that. And it is one of those, I actually like it and appreciate it. Where if you say to Brian Hartline, well, you know, play calling is, I don't know, what are you, it's instructive and it's uh, meaning uh, the plays. Oh, what is that? And he'd be like, what are you asking me? Is what are you what are you trying? It's like, oh, you have to form a complete sentence and actually have a point to your question. Awesome. But it was funny, Stephen, because they're clearly within Brian Hartline just enjoying giving people a hard time. Good guy, good guy. So just it's like we're just trying to give you the personality. He just does that a little bit more than some other, like more than Ryan Day ever would, more than Ryan Day ever did as an assistant, right? Just not the personality. He does, though, he did communicate, Stephen, pretty clearly the idea that he thinks he knows. He said, I know you guys are talking about this play calling thing a lot. And he thinks it's not a big, as big of a deal as we are making it out to be. I think I disagree with him on that point, but I find it interesting, his perspective on that, Stephen. And that wound up being something that we sort of ended up asking a bunch of questions about. Right now. I think is the key part of that is he doesn't think it's that big of a deal right now because the focus is so much on individual development and stuff like that. And they're just trying to try and stuff out. Cause I tried to like capture a lot of that stuff when I was asking some of these questions, like I, I kind of mapped it out. I was like, I don't know. Like, do you like it to be quiet on the headset when you're trying to call plays? You know, are you, do you think you want to be upstairs or down? All the stuff that just kind of goes into it, which are logical. None of it was illogical. It's just right now they're not thinking about it. But he did acknowledge that eventually it does have to be a conversation. But it's just not a conversation right now, which I'm with you. I don't agree with that. I mean, there's a new play caller at Ohio State for the first time in five years. So I think it's it's the, probably the biggest deal for the offense. But I, I, the way he did map it out, it made sense why he's trying to downplay it. Right, Well, he – Brian Hartline is trying to downplay it right now because it's not completely his focus right now. It's just a thing that they're working out while also trying to develop his players. Um, but yes, it's always but, a joy to talk to Brian Hartline on the record. But 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 there's also to an extent his greater philosophy is we're getting this in sort of a side session. It wasn't really on the record, but the essence of one of the things he said was uh, it was a secret conversation that Nathan will now reveal. This wasn't, I don't think, anything. There were definitely some things there I won't repeat, but this is one of the things I think he would not care if I repeated, which is his philosophy that you you match scheme to personnel. You don't come up with a scheme and then hope that it fits your personnel. So I think just, again, the way his brain is processing all of this, they've got this spring to make this personnel as good as it can. Find out this between now and the start of preseason camp, or in the preseason camp, what that personnel is on the offensive side of the ball. It's a little bit more set, obviously right now there's guys who aren't practicing right now. That'll be on the field for a ton of snaps 
this fall, whether that's Mecca, Buka, Julian Fleming, Trevion Henderson, etc. But I think that's still, this is the way his brain works. Now, the spring is the time for player development, and then they've got a lot of time between now and August to work on this concept of play calling development. He did say like they're, we're trying to find like the 22 to 30 guys that we think can play on offense, right? That's that individual player thing. I will say there was also a moment on Saturday when they were in the red zone near the end of the, the scrimmage when Brian Hartline yelled, get lined up <laughs> at the guys <laughs> who was like, oh, no big deal. It's, it's all the same. What's, he's screaming. It's like he's wearing a headset, screaming at people to get lined. It's like, okay, that's different. So I do think part of this other thing is, is this. Like I keep describing it as like Ryan Day is over on the side, standing on the block O, headsetless by himself thinking to himself, I'm dying inside. I am dying inside. It is for the best, but this is killing me. And Brian Hartline's over there doing the thing that Ryan Day used to do. And Brian Hartline's like, that's ah, fine. And Ryan Day yeah. is like, my very soul has been ripped from my body. And Brian Hartline's like, that's ah, cool. And it's well, like, also, that's kind of like how they're different. But the other thing with Brian Hartline is, Brian Hartline, his whole life has always been better than people expected him to be. He got to Ohio State. He's running down on special teams and he's blowing guys up. It's like, oh, this guy's pretty good. He winds up being like a very important part of an offense for a really good Ohio State team. So it's like, he's like their fourth receiver. Then he's their third receiver. He's very big. Then he goes pro a year early. Not a year early. He stayed for four years. He didn't take his, didn't stay for his fifth year red shirt. People kind of like, I don't know. Kind of surprised this guy's going pro. He leaves. He gets drafted in the fourth round. It's like, oh, that's nice. He got drafted a little higher than I thought he would be. He's a thousand yard receiver in the NFL. He gets a pretty big free agent contract. It's like, man, that's better than I ever thought it would be. Then he's a businessman. He has a convenience store. It's like, oh, this guy's a pretty good businessman. He's like, ah, I'll coach because I'm bored. He comes over. He starts hanging out the audience. It's like, oh, this guy's pretty good at being a coach. The other coach gets fired. They put him in. He takes over. He becomes the best position coach in college football. He's like, no, oh, I'm pretty good at this. And so now we're at the point. It's like, I don't know. Is Brian Hartline, does this actually fit him to be a play caller? And he's like, that's yeah, fine. It's like, well, why would he think that? It's like, I don't know, because it's been fine every other moment of his life. Whenever you looked at Brian Hartline, we're like, eh, I don't know. It turned out great. So, like, I'm jacked up about it. I can't help it. I'm more on the Ryan Day. I'm watching Ryan Day shrivel. I can't. I'm doing this for the good of the team. And I, but I'm just more like that anyway. And Brian Hartline's like, I'm a, we get the game's not till September. It's fine. It so very, it's just yeah, different. I, yeah. I think I agree with Hartline here. I think I'm much more of the Hartline way of thinking for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we've already established, they're working off of a playbook that already exists. He doesn't have to go out and design an offense. The Ryan Day offense exists, and Ryan Day is still here. So that's the other thing that's at play here, too, is if Brian Hartline shows up on September 2nd to call plays and then just has laryngitis that day. Well, they've already got Ryan day there to call plays. What is a problem is if the morning of that game, the, you know, uh, Julian Fleming can't play. So did they do enough this spring to get Jaden Ballard ready to play that day? Did you get this offensive line ready to solidify and be ready to be a, a good offensive line on opening day? Those things are so much more urgent to me right now than Brian Hartline's play calling development. It's only, March 28th. Ryan Day didn't wear a headset at practice, and it's <laughs> led to very, two very different approaches and how it's been received by people. It's the Ryan Day 
This is the biggest thing I've ever done well, is Brian Hardline. Because we asked Brian Hardline about the fact that Brian Day didn't have his headset. And in lesser words, in more so words, his answer was like, all right, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, but listen, I, if, I think – go ahead. Well, Ryan Day has created some of this by the word leaking out that he's thinking about giving up play calling. And then when we ask him about it, he's like, well, we'll see. We're going to do some things this spring. If Ryan Day had said – yeah, we're promoting Brian to offensive coordinator, and he's going to call plays. That would change a little bit how we're talking about it this spring because it's still a little bit more of a willy won't he thing right now. A will he won't he thing? That yeah. what you said? I thought it's I, like I heard will you they know. won't I you said they? Like a like, will, yeah, like a willy won't he, like a w i l l y w o n y. You know, yeah. like a willy won't he. It's like a gummy yeah. worm. No, it's like willy won't he thing. Famous nineteen thirties <laughs> offensive coordinator for yeah. Yale. Willie Woney and the Taco Factory. You know what Brian Hartline would never be? Brian Hartline would never be nine and three Brian. I think Ryan Day would maybe be nine and three Ryan sometimes. Ryan Day might be like, yeah, I think we might go nine and three. Brian Hartline, like, it's fine. Yeah. No, For, well, not that he doesn't care, but like, it's like he just believes because, and it's not like, because sometimes you can believe something and, and you believe it because you think, magic fairies are going to make it happen for you. But I think Brian Hartline believes it because he's like, well, I'm going to put the work in. We're going to put the work in. We're going to bust our butts. We're going to we're going to grind for the next six months. It's going to be fine. We have talented people who are dedicated to the process, who are going to work hard, who are smart, and we're Ohio State. And it's how going much, to be fine. How much of that is just one's a wide receiver, one's a quarterback. And a wide receiver's head is a lot of that is, I'm open, throw me the ball. <laughs> There's two people. Throw me the ball, dude. I'm open. Throw me the ball. While a quarterback, it's like, yeah, but there's two safeties out there, so I probably shouldn't throw it down the sideline. I should probably throw it down the seam. But wait, it's a hot nickel right here. I'm going to think about all this stuff while wide receivers like, dude, I beat my guy at the wide of scrimmage. Throw me the go ball every I single time. I think there's a lot to that. I but think there's a lot to that. But then it even goes deeper. Ryan Day is a quarterback from, like, New Hampshire, which is – Solid college football program, just in case Ryan Day is. You don't have to, to be nice to New Hampshire. It's New Hampshire. Brian Hartline was a wide receiver at Ohio State University and then played in the, the NFL. So, like, he's, I'm a wide receiver, but like a wide receiver on steroids and the most obnoxious version of what a wide receiver personality is supposed to be. While Ryan Day is probably the most obnoxious version of what a quarterback is supposed to be. And now those are your last two guys who are potentially going to be your play callers. And so that kind of maps up how not only they're approaching this, but also how they might call plays. Ryan Day is probably thinking about a million different things while he's trying to make a play call. There might be some times where if if Ryan Hartline keeps this job and he makes a play call and it works out and we somebody goes, hey, Brian, what was go- like? What were you thinking about when you made that play call? Marvin was kicking the corners, but so we threw him the ball. Yeah, Steven just even put like a little microphone over his mouth when he did that, yeah. which is why you couldn't really hear what he said. No, that's – so I think there probably is a lot to that. And I do think in the end, the ideal situation, Nathan, is for Ohio State, it's two people with two different approaches and two different sets of strengths that reinforce each other and make beautiful music together. And they might come at it from a different way, but they are aimed towards the same goal, working together to maximize the situation 
And I think it's nice when people have different strengths. But I, I really – and if Brian Hartline – I know he's not listening. If Brian, Brian Hartline would be like, oh, my God, you guys talked about that for 25 minutes, yeah. the different strengths that we have because we play different positions. It's just football, yeah. right? He would think this is ridiculous. And Ryan Day might be like, you know what? I think you guys are on to something. So it's fine. People come at things in different ways. But hopefully it's not oil and water. It's uh, Kool-Aid mix and water. When then you get a delicious beverage. Or Kool-Aid mix and oil. <laughs> not as good, but good enough. It tastes like on a hot better. summer day. It tastes better than regular oil. I assume. Yeah. Oh, lime oil. Mm. I feel like that might make for an exciting afternoon. I think it, though, Brian Hartline said something today. It may have, again, just been when we were standing around about how he feels like too, he's, he's, he understands he's like too optimistic sometimes. Like he just, he always is looking on that bright side. He's too optimistic sometimes even about their own players as like, yeah, he'll get this done. He'll figure this out. Like we're, and I think though, that goes back to the first thing you were saying which is that a guy who has always seen the work that he puts in pay off. Not that he didn't have some gifts and not that there isn't also a ceiling you hit at some point physically in the NFL for him, where it was just like body's not responding, but as uh, barring those things, like you, you put in the work and it gets rewarded. He puts in the work to, to recruit, it gets rewarded and he can go around to this whole offense now and has a different influence across this whole offense now to say, when you put in the work that is the blueprint that we've put out, that's how you are Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. You can try, kind of spread that message throughout the offense. With with all that being said, he did admit that the whole offensive coordinator thing, it's the play calling thing is what it is, but the time management thing for him has been a little bit of adjustment. Um, he kind of referenced life before having kids, which I'm still living that life. So I still <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a don't hurt your knuckles knocking too hard. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, that's not the life I'm trying to live right now. But just you didn't realize how much time you actually had on your hands before you had all these new responsibilities that you now have, whether it's recruiting where it's not just his position group anymore. He's helping out with offensive linemen and you know, if he goes down to Cincinnati to go see Chris Henry Jr., then it was like, okay, yeah, I might as well stop and go see Jordan Marshall, who, of course, is not committed to Michigan. But I might as well go see him as well, too, because I have to be in the know about all this stuff during practice. Like, there in the teaching periods, I'm always obviously going to be with my wide receivers. But there's some times where I need to be paying attention to what the quarterbacks are doing or what the offensive line is doing or what the running back is doing. And that's stuff that he didn't necessarily have to think about before. And so he's having to – that the time management thing – Ryan Day's doing it at the maybe macro level because he's trying to watch an entire team. Brian Hartline is adjusting to do it at maybe a more micro level just within the offense. So he does have that that bigger picture perspective now, and he, he is busier. Um, but I, and I think it was a good conversation. But again, I think he and – and it is – he is having to have these bigger picture conversations when – I mean, he he knows as much about receiver play and receiver recruiting at the college level as anybody in the country. And so that was all we ever asked about him before. So he wants to talk about players. He wants to talk about their growth. He wants to talk about mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And now you get into more macro conversations and it's like he's kind of like, hey, what are we doing here? Um, I did think it was kind of funny. 
you know, Jaden Ballard is a guy. We we want we're having a lot of Jaden Ballard conversations because here's who else you could talk about. Mecca and Julian aren't practicing, and Marvin is Marvin. So like what and, and actually Xavier Johnson's kind of Xavier Johnson. Like we know what that is now. Yeah. And like Brian Hartline was like, Xavier Johnson is a good receiver and a good running back. And it's like, yep, that is correct. So what is that going to be? He's not going to be the number two receiver. He's going to be like their fifth guy. They're going to find a way. So Jaden Ballard, and then everybody else is young. So like there's nobody, there's nobody else to talk about. So we probably are banging the drum on Jaden Ballard a little bit too hard. But it was an interesting situation where someone brought up Jaden Ballard and the idea, because Ryan Day said it, that like, which is a, a thing that the Urban always said, like Ryan Day kind of said, this is kind of his go year, right? This is time for him to do this in, in year three. Urban always said first two years on the coaches, third year on the player. So Ryan Day said that, and that was put to Brian Hartline. He's like, what, 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 what does that mean? Like he can be here six years. Like I don't, He'll develop when he develops. Like why are we trying to put a timeline on him? I don't have a timeline on him. And it's like, okay, no timeline. And then like 10 minutes later, he said, I wish where Jaden Ballard is now, he was here last fall. He's six months behind. And you wanted to yell, you just said there's no timeline. And now you well, said he's six months behind. Which one is it? Of course, it's both. But the other thing that's not true is that if you don't develop and you do, if you don't develop to the point where you get to play, young guys are going to pass you and you're probably going to leave. So, like, we also can't pretend like, well, you know, it's plenty of, there's guys coming, but, especially in that room. So, also, like, it's not an actual Brian. Like, I understand what Brian's saying, but, like, it's also actually not true everybody's on a timeline because somebody behind you yep. is also on a timeline and only so many guys can play Nathan. It's yeah, th- that is a good thing. It's important to point that out. I will say though, in the Jaden Ballard conversation that's going on this spring, it's not that there's an opportunity that he's not taking. It's just, are they seeing enough that puts him into that conversation? And it feels like he's caught a little bit in between those two things that he is probably still on schedule. If the three receivers that are ahead of him weren't ahead of him, because I tried to, to, I, it just, it's again, trying to go back to that, that sort of just informal side conversation. And it, it just, it's very obvious from Heartline's perspective that there's not an urgency to get Jaden Ballard onto the field from his perspective that there is the development is happening and he'll get to where he can be a starting receiver on this team or a receiver who plays for this team, which would be, I guess the intermediary step right now, but that it doesn't matter if it doesn't happen in the fall of 23. Well, and also I do think Brian Hartline is being very smart about it because he does not want to create an environment where we in the media put a timeline on Jaden Ballard, say it's go time. He somehow does not get past Marvin Harrison Jr., best receiver in the country. Emeka Buka, top five receiver in the country. Julian Fleming, former number one recruit in his class. And if he can't beat them out, now he's behind somehow. And we've created a structure to somehow view this season of Jaden Ballard as a failure. When Brian Hartline knows all those guys are going to be gone next year. And Jaden Ballard has a huge opportunity in 2024. So he doesn't want to create a false opportunity in 2023 and create a storyline of like, Oh man, this guy, I don't know if he's going to make it. So I, I understand what I, I 100% understand what Brian Hartline's doing, but I also think he should hundred percent understand what we're doing and he's not all right. And we're not all right, but we're not all wrong. And he's not all wrong either. Steven. No, I think the situation has created 
something that shouldn't exist. Unfortunately, for, well, fortunately, first of all, fortunately, Julian Fleming and Emeka Ibuka not being Fulgo and Marvin being Marvin has given Jaden Bowd a lot of opportunity to just go do stuff this spring. Some stuff that, quite frankly, he probably shouldn't have been doing, just given what he's been at Ohio State so far. I get it. They get they let guys do the combat, do the pro day stuff a year early because they're helping out with guys. But the list of guys who have helped out before were established stars. When Garrett and Chris helped out Justin, they were established stars. CJ was an established star last year. Marvin is an established star, and everybody healthy. That receiving core from that last week that would have been doing CJ's pro day would have been Marvin, Julian, and Emeka, and probably Xavier Johnson and Kate Stover. Jaden Ballard got to do that because they needed somebody to do it. And because of these opportunities, it's created the type of buzz for Jaden Ballard that, quite frankly, needs to be reserved for people who you feel like are about to have the type of breakout year that's like, hey, this guy might be on the verge of a 1,000-yard season. And that's not what's happening with Jaden Ballard. But to your point, Doug, who else are we supposed to talk about? Because we have to write Marvin Harrison is good 40 million times in six months. So why would we do that now? Well, I, I would disagree that, like, certainly the buzz on this podcast is not the kind of buzz that would only be reserved no. for someone who's going to have a thousand yard season. I'm just wondering, like, can he get on the field? Could he be good enough to force his way onto the field to some degree? That's all. So, well, I, so, I, but he also is a tier by himself, right? It's the three established guys, yes. and you can put X in there, four established guys, then it's all the young guys, and then in between is Jaden Ballard, and that's it. So he is sort of like he gets all that because when you're young, you're young. And when you're established, you're established. And when you're not young anymore, but you're also not established, you could be very interesting. You're in transition. And we're on the lookout for is a guy evolving, is a guy moving up, is a guy progressing. And so we're putting all that energy in that. But I don't think, I don't know. I don't think I ever thought he was going to have like a breakout season. I wondered like, could he split time, take time from Julian Fleming? Because it's like, Hey, this guy came on and, and deserves to be on the field in some way now, which I think is a reasonable thing to ask of a third year guy. And by the way, Julian Fleming is also not a Mecca Buka and Marvin Harrison jr. I'm not asking if Jade Bowers is going to take snaps from MHJ. No, but the way that Hartline has talked about it, not just today, but the last time we talked to him and we were talking to him about receivers in his view, Ballard is not the all-around receiver that Julian Fleming is. And he's going to put the all-around receiver on the field before he puts a guy with just this deep threat concept. Like that's that's been that is explicit now that that's the hierarchy here. That's where those two guys sit relative to each other. And Brian Hartline is also still and this goes back to his optimism in some ways. But like whenever you bring up Julian Fleming he's like but just wait till he's healthy. Like wait till you see what this guy is when both of his shoulders are healthy and maybe it never actually gets there. Who knows? He's obviously, that is where there is sort of a timeline. Like he's only got so many snaps left in college and he's been hurt for so many of them. But I think there has to be, this sounds, this almost sounds like we're down on Jaden Ballard. I am not certainly down on Jaden Ballard. It's just the reality of the position. The same way I'm not down on Gabe Powers and CJ Hicks. There's just three guys established in front of him that are right now from what we've seen and what the coaches seen more, uh, is more all around players, more all around ready to help this team. Then, and it's probably even more pronounced. It it is more pronounced at receiver than even at linebacker. Yeah, Brian Hartline thinks he has three first round talents as the starting wide receivers. Now, two of them are probably going to be it at this point. Mac is probably a first rounder too. And Julian, I mean, the health concerns. I don't know with him, but he 
then that's not just like, like awful on the side conversation. He has like tweeted that idea that he has three first round talents as a starting wide receivers right now. And Julian might be that he might be a first round talent, but unfortunately health has gotten in his way and has never really allowed him to be whatever the best version of himself is at this point. But I think you described Jaden Ballard kind of perfectly. He's the middle child of the room right now. And since Brian Hartline arrived, we haven't, we've only really seen a middle child one other time. And it was Jamison Williams, and he left and ended up being a Belitnikoff Award finalist and kind of had the same makeup as what Jaden Ballard was, a, a guy ranked in the 80s of his recruiting class who was a burner. So I, I do, from a fan perspective, you're probably thinking like that idea of you let the burner go last time and look what he turned into and you got it again, so maybe we should use him this time. But – to that point, you can't. You have to be more than just a burner. And with Jamison Williams in 2020, he was literally just a burner in this offense. And if, if, if that's not proof that you have to be more than just that to play here, I don't know what will be. Hi, Brian. He's not listening. Is he listening? No, he's not listening. Now he might be listening. No, he's not listening. But hello, Brian. Anyway, I I like uh, I like guys who who are willing to do that. Right, like a little push and pull, yeah. and it does lead you down to like a, what's the deal? You know, like this is what we're trying to do. Like I was, I mean, it's like we're having, we have a podcast today <laughs> and a big chunk of the podcast is dissecting what you are saying. So what do you want to say? Because we're going to talk about it and we have a good idea of what's going on, but you know more. So if there's anything that you would like us to know, that we can then communicate to this loyal, educated, dedicated fan base, please do so. We are very interested in what you have to say. And that can be anything. So just say stuff that helps us learn more about this team. That's all we want to do here. And if you think our questions are like leading down the wrong path, let's turn around and go back the other way. We don't have to go down the wrong path together. So that's, and I think like, and he's up for that, right? Like, that, that's good. Like, that's good. Like, he's up, he's up for that. So that's all, that's all we want. We don't want to get lost in the woods because unfortunately, if we get lost, there might be a couple thousand Ohio State fans that are lost with us. And we don't want anyone to be lost. We want to be on the path towards understanding what's up with this team because people really, really care about it. So I, I enjoy conversations like that. Um, I think we do just have a good, it's much better than like, just like coach speak stuff, you know? So I think we do, we just... We're not trying to kiss anybody's butt. We just have like a pretty decent collection of people to talk to who help us try to learn about this team, which is what we're here to do and which we try to bring to you guys. So we had a good conversation with Jim Knowles. We had a good conversation with Brian Hartline. We got to watch 20 minutes of practice. That's a good Tuesday. This is the Tuesday podcast. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>